Welcome, everybody, to day three of the ACB-DC Leadership Conference. Uh, in uh, this year's conference uh, is in memorial of Charlie Crawford, who was our second executive director of the American Council of Blind, a wonderful advocate for our community. And Charlie, you are, you are really, really missed. And we know you'd have a big smile on your face with all the wonderful advocacy uh, conversation that's taking place this week. So, Charlie, we, we've got you in our thoughts. Also wanted to take a moment just to thank all of our members and friends who are participating in our monthly monetary support program, MMS, and a special shout out to James Polsani. Hopefully I'm saying that right, from New York. Uh, he's our $50 uh, certificate uh, gift card winner for, for Monday. So congratulations, James. Thank you for participating in the monthly monetary support program. And again, today we'll be giving away another $50 certificate. And then everybody that participated throughout the weekend will be in a big drawing for a smart television. So please, if you haven't joined yet or you'd like to increase your pledge by $5, uh, or join for a minimum of 10, please contact either Gene Mann or George Holiday. Let me give you those emails and numbers real quick. So it's askacbmms at gmail.com. That's askacbmms at gmail.com. Or call 202-743-0755. That's 202-743-0755. 0755. Leave a message with your name and phone number and they promise they'll call you back real quick. So thank you everybody who's who's helped so much. And wow, what an exciting day for day three and, our, and day two of our legislative seminar. Fantastic conversations yesterday, great panels, and I can't wait to, to hear more about digital accessibility and health and wellness and, and hear from our wonderful speakers today. But first, I want to turn it over to our executive director, Eric Bridges, for a couple of important announcements. So, Eric, good morning. Good morning, Dan. So, yeah, usually I'd be letting everybody know where the bathrooms were. <laughs> uh, in, in the old days, we used to joke about that. Um, but actually, I've got uh, a couple of uh, announcements that I'd, I'd like to make, and I'd like to join Clark or have Clark join me in, uh, in making them. Uh, we have uh, just this week announced the hiring or will be announcing the hiring of uh, two new employees to welcome to the ACB team. And I'm really excited uh, to, to be able to announce uh, actually that we extended an offer and uh, we are very pleased to to welcome Jolyn Bailey Page to the ACB team as our audio description project coordinator and grant writer. Jolyn's been with ACB uh, in a contractor role for for several years assisting with grant writing but also uh, working with the audio description project uh, steering committee, uh, as well as the unit description project that we, uh, we work on with the University of Hawaii and the National Park Service. So Jolyn has a, uh, a vast uh, depth of knowledge in audio description, as well as grant writing. And um, we had some very uh, good candidates 
apply and interview for this position. Um, but I'm, I'm very pleased that, that, uh, we can announce that Joel Lynn will be joining our team as a full-time employee starting March one. Uh, and then to go along with that, Clark, why don't you talk about, uh, the other employee announcement that directly relates to advocacy and governmental affairs? Absolutely, Eric. Thank you. And first, uh, congratulations and welcome aboard to JoLynn Bailey Page. Certainly appreciated getting to know you through your work with the uh, Audio Description Project Steering Committee, as well as working with you in the National Park Service uh, and the University of Hawaii and Google on the Uni Description Project as well. For the ACB Advocacy and Governmental Affairs team, we are excited to welcome Swatha Nandakumar as ACB's new Advocacy and Outreach Specialist. So folks, you'll, you'll be seeing that name and hearing her voice also starting on March 1st, and an announcement will go out later this week. So when you have a chance, please welcome Swatha to ACB. She hails from the state of Illinois is a graduate of Loyola University with a degree in public policy, has time and experience with Senator Dick Durbin from the state of Illinois, as well as the Library of Congress, and experience as a uh, a phone bank operator and call trainer. So (laughs) something we need near and dear here in the ACV office. Absolutely. (laughs) Thousands of phone calls a month. So um, Swatha, again, welcome to ACV, and we're excited to work with you. Yeah. Well, uh, and before I go, I just want to let everyone know that in the coming weeks, you'll be seeing more position openings uh, sent out through through email and social media. And uh, for folks that are interested in, in different types of employment opportunities, please stay tuned. Um, it's a sign of growth in, in the organization. Uh, we're, we're able to, to do more for more of our members in the broader community. And I'm really, I'm really excited about the direction that, that ACB is headed. Uh, and it's going to be a really good 2021. I also just briefly want to thank uh, the ACB team for all the work that they've put into the last few days. Um, you know, this is a, it, it has to be a, a, a passion for folks to be able to uh, prepare and and produce what has what has taken place thus far. And uh, the ACB team, you know, which includes employees and contractors, but then also the folks uh, within ACB Radio that are volunteering their time as as hosts and streamers. Um, I, I just I really appreciate it, and thank you very much. With that, I'm going to hand it over. Actually, no, I'm going to do one more thing, which I've done in the past as well. We have three tremendous sponsors this year. Uh, J.P. Morgan Chase, as you all are aware, has been a, a, a major supporter of the American Council of the Blind for the last six years, and they are a presidential sponsor this year, $10,000. Uh, Vanda Pharmaceuticals, a, uh, a congressional sponsor, and thanks so much to them for their continued support, which is going on a decade now, as well as Vispero. And Vispero has actually sponsored the digital inclusion breakout uh, that hopefully folks will be attending today. 
uh, and Matt Ader from Vespero will be back with us uh, later this afternoon to to talk uh, about the work that Vespero is up to. So thank you very much to those three companies. And I will get out of your hair and hand it over to Clark to get things moving. Clark. Thank you so much, Eric. And thank you to our sponsors for making this virtual conference, the DC leadership meetings, the president's meeting and legislative seminar for making all of this possible. And as Eric stated, we have our digital inclusion breakout track this afternoon with presentations from the FCC Disability Rights Office, a panel on broadband access and adoption, as well as a panel on modernizing the 21st Century Communications Video Accessibility Act. Running concurrently with the digital inclusion breakout is our health and wellness breakout with presentations from the Department of Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights, uh, Joseph Nara from the ITEM Coalition talking about low vision device coverage for Medicare and Medicaid, and uh, Tony Stevens and ACB Diabetic, Diabetics in Action and others having an, an open conversation about what a diabetes bill of rights would look like for people with diabetes and living with vision loss. At the end of the day, we'll bring everyone back together for our closing general session, much like Dan did with the fireside chat with all of our national blindness partners on Sunday. We'll have a conversation with the public policy leads for a lot of these organizations. Uh, It'll become pretty apparent pretty quickly that not one organization can tackle all of the issues and policy items that are important to our members in the broader community. So we'll get to hear what other organizations are prioritizing here in the 117th Congress and here in 2021. And I think it'll be clear that there are areas of overlap, areas where we'll be able to collaborate and work together. But before we get all get to all of that, I'd like to welcome our guest for this morning general session for his presentation. Uh, coming to us live from Providence, Utah, we have Sachin Pavithran, the new executive director for the U.S. Access Board. Good morning, Sachin. How are you? Good morning, Clark. Yeah, and I know we have a little bit of that Utah weather here in the D.C. area, and I know you'll be relocating later this year. So hopefully it, it warms up here once once you're in the area full time. Well, it's it's definitely blowing snow outside over here. So, <laughs> so it's definitely winter's definitely upon us over here. All right, well, great. Well, Sachin, I'll let you take it away for your presentation here this morning. And folks, as time permits, we will open up for Q and A towards the end of this session as well. Thank you, Clark. Well, good morning, everyone. Uh, like uh, Clark said, I am the new uh, executive director for the U.S. Access Board. Uh, just been in this position for almost two months uh, now. Um, And I'm excited that Clark invited me to speak to all of you in regards to the work that we do at the Access Board. Um, So I'm going to start off with some background about what the Access Board does as as the federal agency, then kind of focus a little bit more on our upcoming activities and then open up to uh, question and answers. 
I, I do want to spend more time answering any questions uh, you might have rather than me uh, speaking to all of you. So, so I'll, I'll give my brief uh, comments and then we'll spend more time uh, doing, uh, having a conversation, answering any questions you might have. So to start off with the U.S. Access Board, what does the U.S. Access Board do and what the focus is? Uh, there's often uh, confusion about, you know, the, the jurisdiction of the agency and how, what the Access Board, uh, you know, the functioning of the Access Board. So to give a better understanding of the structure of the U.S. Access Board, uh, we are a small federal agency, independent federal agency that oversees writing guidelines and standards on accessibility. When I say accessibility, it covers pretty much anything from built environment to ICT, so information communication technology area, to passenger vessels, uh, public rights of way, uh, medical diagnostic equipment. So pretty much anything you can think of when it comes to accessible, uh, any, anything that requires accessibility, we have a hand in it. The access board, uh, is a small agency. Like I said, we have, we are a staff of about 30 uh, individuals who are experienced in various areas of accessibility. We are also governed by a board of 25 members. Uh, the 25 members are comprised of 13 of them who are appointed by the president of the U.S. And 12 of them are heads of various federal agencies like Department of Defense, Department of Education, Transportation, Health and Human Services, Interior. So uh, 12 of them. So it's a composition of these 13 presidential appointees and 12 agency heads that uh, governs the board. Uh, I I came to the Access Board initially as... Uh, appointee under the Obama administration in 2012, and I served uh, a couple of terms as the public member for the Access Board and then accepted this position to be the executive director. To talk about the focus areas of the Access Board, we, there are three primary things that we focus on. One is uh, rulemaking, working on regulations. So we work on different regulations, and I'll, I'll speak more in detail in a minute. So rulemaking is one. The, the next piece is technical assistance, providing technical assistance to um, whether it's agencies, uh, professionals in the space of accessibility, anyone who could use the information to create a more accessible environment. Then the other piece is the enforcement of the Architecture Barriers Act. So the a- ABA um, where we enforce in, any compliance issues that might arise based on um, any accessibility barriers in federal buildings. So in, in uh, regards to rulemaking, in the last four years under the previous administration, the Access Board has not been involved in any rulemaking because of an executive order that was passed under the previous administration, which um, a lot of people would uh, refer to it as the 241 regulation, where for every uh, piece of regulation that was introduced, we had to give up uh, two regulations in-house, which an agency for of our size and with the kind of uh, work we do, we it was just not feasible for our agency to give up any uh, regs that we have in place. So 
our hands were kind of tied as far as doing any kind of rulemaking. But with a with the incoming uh, with a with a new administration, that executive order has been rescinded, and with that, it has changed uh, what we focus on. So we are now going to start focusing back on the rulemaking aspect, which has been kind of temporarily put on hold. So that's going to be our big focus because there are a lot of rules uh, that we need to be focusing on that has been put in the back burner. Um, One of the first priorities for me coming in as uh, the executive director is to start focusing on one particular rule that has been sitting in the back burner for a very long time, which is the rule on public rights of way, uh, which which has uh, you know has been around for a long time and has not seen a completion. So that's going to be our biggest priority this year when it comes to rulemaking. We are uh, we're, we have all, all hands on deck trying to get this rule out the door. Now it's you know I often get asked the question, what's the timeline when this is going to get out uh, uh, you know out the door? Unfortunately, I can't give uh, an answer to that because it's not just the access board who makes the final call. We are in the final stages that I can say that piece, but there are other agency who has to weigh in in the final rule that uh, we hope to put out um, uh, this year. So the uh, public rights away rule that's uh, that we're working on will uh, it will provide new guidelines under the Americans with Disabilities Act, under the Architectural Barriers Act, and it'll address accessibility um, it'll address accessibility pieces under um, you know sidewalks crosswalks, uh, signals, all the different areas that, you know, as blind people, myself and all of you would really uh, appreciate. And this is an area that really has, you know, I feel like the cities and towns have gone ahead and started making some of these changes, but the rule is kind of behind. So our hope is to get this up to speed and, so that cities and towns across the country can address and do the things that need, they need to be doing so that uh, they follow the accessibility standards that's, uh, that we propose. Um, spoke about technical assistance. So we provide a lot of different tech, technical assistance. Uh, in regards to technical assistance, we uh, provide Section 508, training that happens every other month. It's the last Tuesday of every other month. And anyone is welcome to uh, sign in and listen to these uh, webinars that we hold. A lot of the folks who attend these are uh, individuals in the federal agencies, but it's open to anyone outside the federal agencies as well. Uh, we have a webinar that we offer every uh, Every th- uh, every first Thursday of the month on Architectural Barriers Act, or sorry, anything on built environment as well, and this uh, again open to anyone. All these webinars are archived, and uh, you can view it on our website uh, at any time. One thing we have uh, coming up in uh, this month, and uh, actually March and April, is a 
forum on autonomous vehicles. Uh, it's it's a topic that many of us are interested in. I know I've been involved in the conversation quite a bit uh, before even coming into this position. So we are trying to engage in a dialogue with various stakeholders on what we need to be paying attention to when it comes to autonomous vehicles and so that people with disabilities are not left behind when when these are being uh, rolled out. I know a lot of conversations are happening in many different spaces. Uh, we have engaged with Department of Transportation in, in many levels, but we want to ha- create a space where there's more dialogue happening um, especially in the federal space and uh, with exp- experts in the uh, experts in accessibility. Uh, you know, often, you know, we all know often things happen and accessibility gets forgotten and we, we do not want that to be the case for uh, this particular, uh, particular area, but we're trying to play as much of a role that as we, as we can to make sure the conversation does not, get uh, forgotten when it comes to people with disabilities and accessibility. So uh, there's four of these sessions uh, coming up and feel free to sign up. The information's on our website, uh, March 10th being the first of the four, I believe the, let's see, March 10th, March 24th, April 7th and April 21st, I believe is the last one. So there's four, four of these forums and there's going to be conversation in between these uh, uh, present uh, scheduled presentations that uh, we can engage in a uh, different dialogue and conversation about, um, uh, you know, autonomous vehicle and how it impact, you know, not just uh, the blind population, but uh, people with disabilities at large. Um, when it comes to, uh, uh, when it comes to a lot of the technical assistance we provide, there are things that we're trying to uh, engage in where, so that we can really reach out to the folks in the industry so that it's not just, uh, it's not just individuals that who are specialized to do accessibility, but we're trying to get more into universities, uh, for example, the uh, College of Architecture, so that people in universities can understand how to better integrate some of the accessibility conversation into the different uh, different subject matters that get discussed within uh, universities, because we we find a lot of these could be addressed if universities would make some of this conversation of a higher priority, and th- that's that's a pretty large undertaking, and we want to make sure that all of you feel empowered to have this kind of conversation as well in in different universities that you might have relations with because having these kind of conversations within a higher ed setting, which is where I came from prior to coming to the access board, it is really critical to have these kind of conversations because students coming outside, students getting this kind of information in their uh, in their degrees, in their undergraduate or graduate programs, whichever programs they're going through, having some exposure to accessibility is going to make a huge difference in some of the work we're trying to accomplish, not just at the Access Board, but uh, at the federal agencies at large. So I just want to put that plug out there for all of you to kind of keep that in mind on how you can encourage universities to embed some of these conversations when it comes to accessibility in the various uh, classes that 
speak about um, you know design or whether it's engineering whatever that we can think of that accessibility could be a part of the um, uh, subject matter the last piece I want to touch on is our enforcement piece on the Architectural Barriers Act. So that is that is the one uh, statute that we as a federal agency have enforcement jurisdiction. Often there's a misunderstanding that the Access Board uh, has enforcement on uh, Section 508 and other accessibility piece. The Access Board's role in a lot of those other reg, uh, rules or standards is more working on the standard and the different agencies like DOJ or transportation, depending upon the um, regulation, they are the enforcers. But the one we do have jurisdiction on is the Architecture Barriers Act. So the Architecture Barriers Act is is the law that protects the accessibility of uh, federal agencies. So any federal buildings, any building that is even leased by a federal agency or any federal dollars that has gone into uh, updating a building where there's going to be any kind of federal presence, those buildings need to follow the Architectural Barriers Act. So any accessibility barriers that might be... uh, that might come up in those uh, settings. It's our, it's the U.S. Access Board uh, that receives the complaints and makes sure those complaints are resolved. So whether it's the post office, whether it's uh, national parks, any kind of uh, any kind of areas that federal agencies or uh, the federal government has any kind of influence on, we receive those kind of complaints. So we we do quite a bit of work. Uh, it seems like a lot of the recent ones have been with the U.S. Postal Office, uh, but, uh, yeah, U.S. Postal Office or uh, national uh, parks in the, in uh, different parts of the country when it comes to accessibility. But there are other areas that are, you know that do come up. Uh, a lot of the Department of Defense is another uh, agency that we work quite a bit in addressing some of these barriers. So we, anyone who might come across with some of these accessibility barriers, you can, uh, you can, uh, you can file a complaint on our website where we would uh, review that and work with the agency that has, that has jurisdiction over that space so that we can address. Some, some of them are fairly quick that we can address them. Some of them do take time uh, depending upon if, if it's uh, you know, a built environment that modification needs to take place. So please uh, do keep that in mind if you come across of any kind of uh, federal spaces that uh, requires accessibility barriers. Um, to, again, this is architectural barriers. Uh, this does not include um, electronic accessibility, so you know, document accessibility. That's not covered under this. This is built environment. So th- those are the big um, focus areas for the Access Board. Uh, I just wanted to put put all that information out there, and uh, you know, happy to answer any questions. Also, but before we go there, I want to. Also, talk to you, uh, you know, as a blind person myself, you know, accessibility often gets forgotten in, in, in many conversations. And uh, 
I know this is, uh, you know, this is personal for me and it's personal for all of you. And I really do want to encourage all of you to, you know, reach out to the U.S. Access Board. If there are things that we could be focusing on and things that we could be collaborating in, because some of these conversations really does take time and we, we would hate to sit in the backseat, not wondering when some of these things get addressed. The, uh, like I said, we have uh, our board comprises of 12 federal agencies that uh, are, sit on our board. So, so the access board do have some level of influence because of the conversations we have with these other federal agencies. If there's anything we can do as uh, uh, as the access board in, in being engaged in some of this conversation that we might have missed or have not realized that might be happening, please do uh, reach out to us uh, so that we can be engaged and also uh, be partners with all of you in addressing some of these uh, accessibility barriers that we often face. With that said, I want to, Clark, I want to turn the time over to you on how you want to handle the question and answer portion. Sure. Thank you so much, Sachin, for that presentation. And before we open up to audience Q&A, because I'm the moderator and I have the power, I would like to ask you a couple questions as well. So you mentioned how the Access Board works with other federal agencies. And I'm curious about the relationship between the Access Board and other independent federal commissions. So in, in two instances, we had a presentation from the Election Assistance Commission yesterday, late afternoon, early evening. And uh, Sachin, you are one of the founding members of the National Coalition on Accessible Voting. So I'm curious whether there's a role for the Access Board to play in coordination with the Election Assistance Commission to create more accessible uh, voting systems for both in-person and remote absentee voting. Clark, thanks for asking that question. I, yes, uh, you know, in, in working with you on that coalition, and it's a, it's a it's a topic that's very personal to me, accessible voting, and I've been engaged in the conversation for for a long time. And to add a quick answer to your question, yes, the Access Board does have a role in uh, working with the Commission. Now, it has not been the strongest uh, collaboration in the past, which is something I would like to see change. Uh, we do have two. Uh, we do have two of our public members, uh, two uh, presidential appointees that serve on the board of advisors for the Elections uh, Assistance Commission, and they do serve on the TGDC as well, the Technical Guidelines Development Committee, which I I did uh, for a short period before I came onto this role. Now. Uh, the the collaboration in in the past has been just in those roles serving on the board of advisors and TGDC and what i hope to change in the conversation you know as the access board we do have expertise in the space when it comes to accessibility and you know we don't claim to be an expert on voting at large but we have expert, expertise in the accessibility piece of the voting. So my hope is to engage more with the executive director of uh, of the EAC, uh, Mona, and uh, so that we can have more partnership in some of these conversations. I know there's been uh, 
conversations happening of uh, the AAC having their own accessibility wing or, you know, kind of uh, similar to what they have for security. Um, I, I'd like to be more engaged in that conversation with them to see how we can better help in, in addressing, um, you know, some of this conversation and uh, touching on the remote uh, remote uh, voting aspect. That's that's a topic that I have a strong interest in, and it's something I want to definitely engage with the with the EAC on. Great, and we look forward to helping facilitate that connection in those conversations in any way we can. And then the the maybe last question for me before we open it up to Q and A. Uh, similar topic. I know that earlier this year, the Access Board held a, a webinar on the accessibility of video conferencing and communications platforms. I'll also note that the Federal Communications Commission has yet to define interoperable video communication services. So do you, again, think that this is an area of collaboration between the FCC and the access board to create guidelines for uh, accessible video communication services as well? So the FCC, uh, from my understanding, uh, they, ha- they generally have taken the lead on some of these uh, guidelines. The access board has weighed in when we have been invited. So, so I, I do want to make one thing clear. When it comes to a collaboration, there there are areas that we have jurisdiction because of how the statute reads. And then the other aspect is we need to be invited to uh, be to play a role in writing those guidelines. Now, yes, the Access Board has had conversations with FCC on some of the topic areas. Now, I, I am not sure where FCC stands on creating some of these uh, guidelines with uh, under their umbrella, but we, we continue to have conversations about this and other topic areas with the FCC. Great. So two similar, but uh, uniquely different scenarios and situations. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, I'll turn to our zoom host now to open it up for audience questions. Chris Bell. Thank you. Uh, good afternoon. Seth. Um, I would like to discuss an issue regarding the uh, public rights of way, an issue that I know you're familiar with, which is accessible pedestrian signals. It seems to me that uh, the ADA's mandate for effective communication should result in the access boards adopting a requirement for the installation of accessible pedestrian signals wherever uh, pedestrian signals are that are not accessible. Um, this could be done in conjunction, of course, with the Department of Justice and uh, transition plans and barrier removal, et cetera, et cetera. But I think that it's probably a violation of Section 504 of the Rehab Act with regard to federally conducted programs to uh, not provide for effective communication in that context. I'd also add that the Federal Highway Administration and the Manual and Uniform Traffic Control Devices current rulemaking uh, is uh, providing for hybrid beacons and flashing lights in streets, which, of course, will uh, also uh, not be accessible to people who are blind or who have uh, poor 
low vision. Uh, one other thing I wanted to say is I think that the <clears throat> Access Board, along with other federal agencies, has to have some mechanism for more uh, rapidly responding to changes in technology. Um, I don't know whether that's uh, to adopt a more functional approach to accessibility standards such as WCIG is doing with uh, their 3.0 draft or whether it's providing uh, more rapid interpretation under the equivalent facilitation mandate. But, uh, you know, under the ADA, they have two rulemakings and, uh, you know, a decade length uh, of putting out uh, ADA legal standards just isn't going to work today. But thank you for your time. Well, thank you. Thank you for your comments. Uh, in regards to the first uh, first piece about the accessible signals, um, you know, without getting too much into the rules, uh, I, I, I do want to say that is a, a, prim- a primary piece of conversation that is trying to be, we are trying to address that in the rule. So please uh, be aware of that when, you know, when that comes out. Um, <laughs> the The second piece rapid uh, <laughs> rulemaking you know that's you know when before coming to the federal agency being uh, being a federal employee that it was often my frustration why why do these things take so long because yes it is frustrating because technology uh, changes rapidly and we're still stuck working on a rule that's you know a decade old um, unfortunately i don't have a good answer to that um, you know we are bound by what uh, federal uh, guidelines are when it comes to rulemaking process. If there was a better way for us to change that, you know, this is not, you know, it's not unique to our agency only. It, this is how rulemaking works. And uh, I, I hear the frustration because I, I, I feel the same way when it comes to some of this conversation that keeps dragging on for a long time. But uh, my hope is to at least eliminate any kind of uh, lag that might happen within our agency, which is what uh, I have control over. But, okay. Uh, anything yes. that comes to uh, the rulemaking side, where we collaborate with we other, just- especially uh, Department of Justice, Transportation, those big agencies, we are dependent on their. Um, you know, w- when they come through with some of the internal federal agency reviews as well. Thank you, Chris. And our next question. Penny? Hi. Um, how are you? Thank you so much for coming. Um, I just want to say in uh, conjunction with what Chris had to say, I was involved uh, at a PROAC meeting 20 years ago in San Francisco. So it has really been a long time. Uh, but my question is about something else. Does the Access Board have any uh, collaborative ability with the agency that oversees Medicare and Medicaid? Earlier in the pandemic, I uh, had a telemedicine appointment with my GP and uh, the uh, portal was not accessible and I complained about it and my GP was so upset that she told me she wouldn't see me anymore. Um, so I'm a better doctor now, but I'm sure I'm not the only person that's happened to. And I wonder if the access board can do anything about that. Unfortunately, we don't. Uh, that's we, that's not an area of jurisdiction we have, you know, obviously HHS, uh, Department of Health and Human Services, that's who has the jurisdiction on that. Um, and it, the administration on community living is probably the the best entity to take that 
question too. Okay, well, I will complain to them. Thank you so much, and thanks for all you guys are doing. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Christine? Okay, um, I was curious. I don't know if this is an architectural barrier or if it is um, an accessibility kind of an issue. If federal agencies rent space in buildings that have those fancy new elevators that you have to tell the elevator which floor you want to go to, and then another place in the system tells you which elevator to go to, is that an architectural barrier if that system doesn't talk to you? Or is that is that kind of like a kiosk accessibility thing? You know, that's a good question. <laughs> I think you stopped me on that one. So it's it's the destination elevator where you mm-hmm. uh, where you put the where you have the number pad on the outside, and you get uh, elevators called. You know, I I need to check on that. I, I I would think it is part of the architectural barriers because uh, if it needs it needs to have accessibility built into it. But I don't want to st- uh, say the wrong thing. Let me get back to Clark uh, with an, uh, with the right answer on that one. If because if a federal agency is renting space, um, that needs to meet the accessibility criteria. I have used some of those, and they do work great when when you have the access the audible accessibility feature built onto it. Um, in DC, I know the JW Marriott is one of the places I'm thinking of that has one of those. So um, let me let me check on that uh, that piece uh, so that I don't give you the wrong answer, and I'll I'll Thank get back to clock on that. Thank you, Sachin. Okay, Myra, you may unmute. Hello, can you hear me? Yes. Oh, um, my question is a piggyback on Chris's, I guess. Uh, there seems to be a proliferation of roundabouts in high pedestrian areas where I live, and uh, the the people may or may not have any interest in making them accessible because it is more expensive to make them accessible. And I'm in the middle of something like that right now. And I'm just wondering, is that just a DOT thing, or do you have any impact at all? If you don't, who do we contact about that? It gets very dangerous to walk around. So the 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 PROAG rule that we're working on does address some of those uh, barriers. It, it would be helpful for me to um, kind of get more information what you you know what you're experiencing. Um, I know ra- roundabouts could get tricky, and I know it's popping up more and more. But it is being addressed in the PROAG rule. But it would be helpful also to uh, get you know some information in fact after this afternoon we we are our proact team is meeting on the text of the rule and i i can bring it up to the team so when you get a chance uh if you could send an email a clock has my, my information or i can just share it over here it's, it's pavitran p-a-v-i-t-h-r-a-n at access-board.gov. So Pavitran, that's my last name, P-A-V-I-T-H-R-A-N at access-board.gov. You know, Thank if you. Those kind of things, I can bring it up to the team as well. Thank you. Okay. Ray Campbell. Good morning. Um, my question uh, kind of piggybacks maybe a little bit on Chris Bell. Um, and that is, do you have any jurisdiction or good working with the Department of Justice? We have been working for 11 years 
to get them to release a Title III rule under the ADA regarding web accessibility. It is very frustrating when you try to, and I work in the accessibility profession, it's very frustrating when you talk to a business about their website being inaccessible, and what we hear is, well, we need a standard. Well, let's get a rule out there. Is there anything that the Access Board can do to help make that happen? Thanks a lot. It, it is it is a question that has come up multiple times when uh, DRJ is at the table with us, and uh, we continue to bring that uh, question up because yes, it is it is an ongoing problem that is not yet addressed. Um, whether we have influence, uh, we you know we we do bring it up, but we can't necessarily make them <laughs> do uh, do their work. But uh, but we do bring it up. It might, personally, myself, I have brought it up in multiple yeah. meetings, even before coming to this role. Let's hope that uh, under the new admi- the new administration, will be able to uh, move the ball forward on that. Thank you for your time, and thank you for all that the board does. Yeah, and I, one thing to uh, to add in regards to the new administration, I know that is a, a important piece of conversation to be addressed because it is something that got missed or didn't get accomplished under uh, not the previous administration under the Obama administration. So it is a high priority item. Well, they they kept promising us, but they never did it. So hopefully they'll actually do it this time. Thanks a lot again for all you do, and thanks for being here today. Thank you, Charlene. Go ahead. How to get to the unmute? Um, yes, I have a question with the department. It may be DOT, but the transit centers now are becoming, uh, even at just bus stops, are becoming more and more digital. Readout is telling you about next buses, where, um, if there's any um, rerouting that has to be done about that rerouting or what's going on with buses and trolleys and all the vehicles. So, um, I wanted to, that needs to be made available to people who are blind as well, which in most cases it's not. And so is this a DOT and is this something you can help with? So, uh, so, so I understand. So are you talking about announcements of when uh, at the bus stops or are you talking in the bus itself? No, I'm talking at, at, at the bus stops or at transit centers. Uh, the bu- ones inside the bus, we have, solved. I mean, there's a digital sure. readout and the announce, and that's the way it should be, because you need to cover for both because deaf people don't hear um, the announcements. So, But I'm talking at the ones at trans- transit centers, and now there's a bunch of them at uh, bus stops. The new um, upgraded bus stops have these digital boards. So uh, I'm I'm not. It is definitely a DOT issue, but I I do want to look into that whether we have any overlap with the proag rule. Uh, I'm not positive that that it does, but but is I do. A, I, that is pertinent information that they're putting out. For instance, if if a bus stop is is happening to be um, discontinued for some reason, I can be standing there and never know. Sure. No, I, I agree with you. L- uh, I'm making notes over here. So the, let me check whether that has an impact on the PROAG rule. I, I'm not sure if it does. If it does have an impact on the PROAG rule, because we do address bus stops, but I'm not sure about this particular piece. So uh, let me check on that. I'll, and just a real back. quick piece of information for you. Um, San Diego, City of San Diego has um, roundabout guidelines were created by people who are blind and uh, mobility instructors, and they have quite a few thing, elements that um, make them a lot easier, not that they're ever going to be easy. Thank you. 
Todd, you may unmute. I don't have any questions, but I do have a comment. I do want to thank you for uh, your presentation. And the thing about the crossing walks, well, that's something you're going to have to pick up with somebody else because I don't have, I'm not a politician. But I do want to thank you you for the uh, uh, presentation. And I also think you're a good presentator, you know. Thank you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Sachin, do you want to stop on that note or you want to take a few more? Um, I, I got time for a few more. I got okay. Probably another five, uh, five minutes. Doug, go ahead. Okay. Question. It's re- uh, I have two, two questions. Number one, um, I noticed uh, my wife and I both serve on um, transportation planning organization advisory committees. Um, and we have a lot of influence in the area we are. Um, there are lots of APSs and a lot of changes made. However, in areas where people are not really involved, there's a lack of, of accessibility. So my, my question, uh, I guess is why is it that it takes participation by people to force changes? And in areas where there people are not as involved, nothing or very little is happening. There seems to be um, uh, a movement or an attitude of a lot of officials. They don't want to do things. And unless people are forcing it, it doesn't happen. Um, the second thing I wanted to ask about is, at least in the state where we are, the the state agency appears to be refusing to make their websites and other uh, internet things accessible. What can we do? Or, or is there a um, federally something that can be done in terms of forcing accessibility? Uh, to answer your first question, um, why it takes a lot of pressure from, you know, you know folks like folks like yourself, you know, locally to make things happen. You know, unfortunately, that's you know that's how it works. It's not the right thing. You know, I I live in a small town myself, and at least now the town I live in, its accessibility is not appreciated. Really, it's 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 a constant battle to push any kind of accessibility when it, when it comes to just whether it's public rights away or anything within uh, access within the community as well. As advocates, you know, you know, I've been a disability rights advocate for a long time, and it's it is something that it seems like it doesn't stop. It's something that we have to keep working on, and then also making sure we have some of these standards that has been pending for a long time, like ProAg and all, comes into play that kind of forces the hand for some of these towns, cities, and towns to do some of these things that need to get done. In regards to the web accessibility uh, piece, now the, the Section 508 does not uh, directly apply to uh, the state agencies. That it, it does apply in the sense that they're getting some federal dollars, they're required to do it, but there's no enforcement on it. That That's the biggest problem, and that's where we hope that uh, the addressing of the Title III of the ADA would help at some point. You know, we got the Section 508 piece where we can file complaints within federal agencies, but 
that's where it ends. There's no uh, really enforcement. So we hope some of that will change and in state agencies itself will will have to follow that as well. Okay, thank you. All right, Sachin, and one more question for me. Uh, you mentioned earlier about uh, medical diagnostic equipment. And one of the things that we hear about regularly, especially from our members in the affiliate ACB Diabetics in Action, is the lack of accessible, durable medical equipment, whether that's uh, continuous glucose monitors, insulin pumps, or even at-home medical monitoring and testing equipment. So I know that you said previously with the question about uh, Medicare and Medicaid services that that more falls under HHS, but is there a role for the access board to play when providing accessibility guidelines for durable medical equipment or at-home medical equipment? Yeah, there is a role to uh, yeah, to be played. So if, if there's a piece of legislation that's passed to, you know, write standards or guidelines on medical uh, diagnostic equipment, so anything like what you said, the glucose, glucose monitor, um, it, it, is, it is possible if in the in the piece of legislation it uh, you know, requires access board to do that guideline, the access board cannot initiate rulemaking or guidelines unless it's something that we already have jurisdiction on. So, like uh, you know, when it comes to the Section Five Hundred Eight under the Rehab Act, we have that you know Pro Act under the ADA. So those we are required to do unless we are given authority by Congress. We can't initiate it. Now, it does happen where uh, um, when we worked on the MDE uh, rule in partnership with HHS uh, under the Obama administration, we were roped into it by Congress to, to work on it. So what I'm saying is if, if those are legislations that ACB might be working on, see how Congress can give authority to the access board and the appropriate resources to uh, do that kind of, uh, you know, rulemaking or setting guidelines. All right, great. Well, again, Sachin Pavithran, uh, Executive Director of the U.S. Access Board, thank you so much for your time here this morning. And I know the ACB and our members look forward to working and collaborating with you and the Access Board on all the initiatives that you're undertaking here this year. Well, thank you, Clark, and thank you, everyone. And uh, Clark, uh, like I said earlier, please feel free to do reach out to me if there's anything I can do to you know, help in the process and you know, collaborate with all of you. We will be best friends. <laughs> thank you, Sachin. Right. Thank you. Have a good afternoon. Great. At this time, I would like to recognize uh, one of our sponsors for the legislative seminar and the sponsor of our digital inclusion breakout. So Matt Ader, Vice President at Vispero, uh, welcome to the ACB Legislative Seminar. Thank you very much, and uh, good afternoon, everybody. It's a warming up afternoon in Washington, D.C. I think they checked the temperature a few minutes ago, and it was like 50-some-odd degrees, and I, I'm kind of in shock after the last week or so. And, of course, it doesn't even um, speak to what people in Texas were dealing with last week. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of just real briefly just kind of give an update on what Vespero's up to because I think you know most of you know who we are, and I hate using the name Vespero because um, 
in reality, most of you deal with uh, four of the four brands um, and most likely the three brands. And I'll kind of go quickly through this. Uh, the four brands of, of Vespero, the companies still are companies um, and you deal with them with their different products. You have Freedom Scientific, Optolic, Enhanced Vision and a newly branded TPGI, which uh, used to be known as Passiello Group. So TPGI is the new brand. Um, the uh, Freedom Scientific Optolite Enhanced Vision all have low vision hardware. And those are kind of some of the products that um, most of you who are low vision uh, um, may be used, such as video magnifiers. And you can think of uh, Merlin Mini from Enhanced Vision, Topaz uh, Ultra from Freedom Scientific, and Clearview Go from Optelec. Um New products, um, those are three of the new products on the market, um, along with Compact 10 from Optelec. On the um, other product lines, um, Freedom Scientific obviously covers the blindness and low vision software, along with Braille uh, support. Uh, some of the cool things happening within the company, uh, webinars. Uh, we've been doing two webinars a month. Uh, we have a lot of cool webinars coming out in March uh, and April, so pay tune, uh, pay uh, pay attention to those uh, announcements. Uh, we're doing um, once weekly with ACB communities. Those are um, on Thursday afternoons. I think it's three o'clock. Uh, once a month with APH. Those are for teachers, students, parents uh, learning different things around education. Um, and then there's a Vespero hardware, which would cover the, any of the, the low vision hardware products once a month as well. So a lot of webinars, all of this kind of stuff is, is kind of boomed, uh, uh since, uh, last year, um, uh, March 13th when we all kind of went on lockdown. Uh, the, the, the number of, uh, webinars and content we've been doing is, has just exploded. Um, and right after the convention last year, we launched, um, our first, training podcast and this is taking a lot of the webinar content along with other types of training content and put this in podcast form you can ask um, your favorite smart speaker uh, you can subscribe on your victor reader stream you could use your computer um, any which way you want to get to it, and it's just training uh, freedom scientific training podcast so just feel free to, to check into that you can also subscribe to it as well uh, that is a weekly release uh, YouTube training videos. Um, in the past, uh, most of our training videos were the hour-long segments of any of our webinars. Those still exist, but we've also now chunked those down into smaller bite-sized um, videos. So, for example, there's a two-minute video on how to create place markers. There's a two-minute video on how to... Um, uh, uh, I'm trying to think of all the different um, shortcuts. I think there's one going up on Zoom Text soon. Um, so there's lots of that kind of stuff. And then there's an 11-minute video on how to do chat in Microsoft Teams. So highly recommend you kind of play around in the YouTube section. Uh, it's Freedom Scientific Training. Definitely make sure you subscribe to that. Uh, lots of great content. Of course, all the other brands have um, YouTube channels as well. And I would say the other brand that does the most video outside of uh, Freedom Scientific would be TPGI. Um, and those are webinars done, uh, excuse me, um, YouTube video updates every week. So definitely subscribe to that. Uh, tips. Um, I've been sharing tips uh, uh, on using JAWS, ZoomText, Fusion, Outlook, Teams, and various other things. I've been sharing these on ACB's uh, Facebook page. 
So hopefully you've gotten a chance to see those and like those. Hopefully you could feel free to share them with other people. You know, it's just there to help people. You know, can we make it quick, easy steps on trying to accomplish a task? And those, and I think there's been about 30 JAWS ones. Uh, I think I've only posted two Zoom text ones, maybe five Fusion. Um, Not all of those are in that channel. Um, I'm posting them slower in the ACB channel because I know there's lots of other content, but they're all in the JAWS users group in Facebook as well. Uh, new features in JAWS Zoom Text Fusion. I'll go over these real quickly and, and get us back to our program. Uh, picture Smart on the web. You can and now hit uh, keystroke uh, within JAWS to actually have it um, describe a picture to you. Uh, prior to this, you had to do it um, on desktop uh, files that were images. Um, you can also now with JAWS 2021 and Fusion 2021 OCR directly to Microsoft Word. You just press your applications key and arrow down to OCR to Microsoft Word. I think it's called convenient OCR to Word. Uh, there's also keystrokes for all of that and videos on YouTube. Ask Sharky and Zoomy. And as I say that, everybody's computer starts listening and um, <laughs> and paying attention. Um, you can do any of these uh, uh, voice assistant commands to check the time, to um, switch to your calendar, to uh, um, zoom bigger, whatever it may be, speak faster. And these are now being done because a lot of people don't remember the thousand keystrokes that are stuck in my head. And so the idea is to make it easier for people to um, uh, get commands. And so if you uh, need assistance in, in or not finding a command working, you know, definitely um, let us know. But also just just challenge the software. Um, come April, we're going to have a bunch of new commands added. So uh, definitely jump in and do that. And uh, don't pick on me for all the jokes. They are probably my fault. Um, those are those will appear in the Sharky um, command list. They're not in the Zoomy command list. Uh, team support is also in, in the latest version of JAWS and ZoomText. Uh, excuse me, JAWS and Fusion. Um, uh, ZoomText obviously works with it as well. Um, supports for apps like weather and news are in the uh, latest February release. Math equation support for your students um, is available in the latest February release. Um, and then the last part I want to say is software licenses. It's so important to keep your software up to date. Um, either you're using the annual home license um, if you're at home. Uh, it's uh, $80 for ZoomText, $90 for JAWS. I think they go up by $5 um, in in March. Um, and then, of course, there's the perpetual licenses that you purchased a long time ago and you want to keep them up to date. That's just the SMA. You know, if you do the math on it, the uh, JAWS license is, is less than, you know, um, $8 a month um, for the home annual for an SMA, it's ten dollars a month. Um, so, and and I'm I'm talking about the professional licenses. So, and different prices within that mix between whatever that comes out to. So, you know, keep it up to date. And the reasons why you want to do it is that words changing every uh, four to six weeks. Um, your browser's changing every couple of weeks. Your uh, Windows is changing and updating every uh, so often. And if you don't keep JAWS up to date as well, you're going to be impacted by those as well. So that's the last I had to say, ACB. I um, love our time that we have with you guys. Um, uh, enjoy my time um, on the advisory board with ACB as well and uh, look forward to the rest of today. Matt, thank you so much for your support of the ACB leadership meetings, the digital inclusion breakout track, 
as well as the ACB community. And folks, you can find Matt and Vispero every Thursday at 3 p.m. So this concludes our general session to start the day. We're going to go into a Connect show. Tune back in here for Breakout A on ACB uh, Mainstream on ACB Radio for the digital inclusion track, kicking off with the FCC Disability Rights Office, and Breakout B on ACB Livestream on ACB Radio for a conversation that's the health and wellness track, kicking off with the Health and Human Services Office of Civil Rights. Thanks, folks, and we'll be back shortly. Thank you, Clark. All right. Thank you. Hey, Debbie. Hey, Tony. How you doing? doing all right how are you doing today great i you know i have to say i love that we have vispero on our community calls on thursday it's it's great and uh um i've i've heard a lot of cool tips from that so very cool yeah definitely thanks to matt ader who's always just been such a such a supporter of acb he's on our advisory board as well and yes you know I, i find those those Ted's extremely helpful that he puts together. He is a a, a, a chasm of knowledge, and uh, yes, I, uh, and, I go and back. Don't, and don't forget to give that. me more challenges. Ask me tough ones, okay? If you're not getting the, if I'm not giving <laughs> you the right ones, maybe we could do like okay. a, a like a an, an evening community event where it's try to stump stump Matt. Instead oh, I would love it. That, Let's yeah. do it. Yeah. Instead this of name fun. that tune, instead of name that tune, it'll be name that tip. Name that hotkey. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. This would be great. Can I have a computer nearby or is this all in my head? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, it's, it's maybe like ask a friend kind of thing. You can ask, oh, uh, ask Sharky ooh. if you need to. That would actually be, cr- you know, be fun. I, I like that. Yeah. Well, thanks I for joining it. us, Matt. It's been great. Man. Oh, thank um, you. I think we, I think we also got our, our Vanda sponsor on. Is Jennifer on yet or no? Are you here with us yet, Jennifer? I am. I had to oh, unmute myself. Jennifer, welcome back. Cool. Oh, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. Hello. We're excited to have Vanda on as a sponsor as well, as a congressional sponsor. So welcome well, back we again. We're going to have a health and wellness segment on Group B today. Um, so those that are that are minded in those areas, and we, we you know, are very thankful for Vanda and all the work they're doing and trying to in, improve the, the, the mental health of people from fatigue, from, from not sleeping with 924. That's something I dealt with many years ago. And yeah, so, but how are you doing? How is Chicago? Jennifer? Chicago is beautiful today. Um, Tell it's me that's sunny. heading east. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It's warming up and uh, there's a lot of melt going on, which I'm happy about. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Well, excellent. Good. Well, we're excited for everybody around the country that's joining us. Hopefully people are thawing out and uh, we've had a, a last blast of winter here in the East coast that really rippled across the whole country. So yeah. Um, but yeah. So what? What's next on your plate, Jennifer? For Vanda, are you? Do you have another conference coming up soon, or another event? I do have an event uh, coming up tomorrow um, with an organization called Leader Dogs. Oh, yeah. um, oh yes, mm-hmm. very familiar yeah. with Leader Dogs. Yeah. Yes. So um, I'll be uh, presenting information on non twenty four uh, to them and their clients. Um, they're a great organization to work with too, not right. unlike the ACB. Um, but yes, yeah. so I work on a team with other nurse educators. There are four of us um, total. I work in the Midwest, but um, all of us have our own specific uh, geographic region. So we're all busy right now um, 
contacting the membership organizations um, with their conventions coming up and making sure that uh, they know that we're available to help support and provide information on NOM24. That's we're, great. We're, we're glad that you're able to, to be out there sort of spreading knowledge and helping helping consumers that need the information. So hopefully you'll be able to join us. I know we're going to have Vanda at our, at our uh, conference this summer. So yes. it'd be great if you draw the short straw and get stuck with us this summer. I know. I would love that. <laughs> yeah. And you don't even have to bring ice cream this summer, even though we miss that. I know no, that I would do be like awesome. this idea. Maybe we could do a um, a taste test challenge or something, or how to how to make a a, a yeah, sorbet recipe. or something. Yeah, yeah. recipe thing. Exactly. So. Yeah, yeah. Oh. Well, that'll I'll be one in, of our connection uh, shows. We'll with, okay, I'll request from uh, Francis. Yeah. Okay, that's great. Oh. Well, is there any any other just big news to, to share with everybody during our little leadership live show? Thanks for jumping on uh, this afternoon and for for sponsoring the conference and. Any, any yeah. other last words of, of wisdom to shed from Vanda? Yeah, yeah. you know, what I, I think a lot of people have gone through um, in the last year is really getting acclimated to the virtual world. Um, it has its own, um, you know, basket full of challenges, but it's really been a blessing in some ways for us because we've been able to reach out to so many more people Um, so, you know, whether people are having support group meetings via zoom or conventions virtually like this, um, it's all been great. So we're really looking forward to, um, partnering with organizations that, uh, provide services or service the visually impaired. Wonderful. Well, thank you. And what's the best way people can find out more about Vanda and particularly like your support groups and ways to reach out to someone like yourself that can help ask questions if, if they are having trouble, you know, a newly blind person. I remember in my teens after going blind, uh, the whole clock just getting completely thrown off and, and hours of the day were hours of the night and vice versa. And what's one of the best ways people can, can be able to get in touch and get, you know, have questions answered and help them out sure. in that regard. So Vanda Pharmaceuticals can be found at Vanda, V-A-N-D-A Pharma, P-H-A-R-M-A dot com. Or you can reach out to me if you have um, an organization that you think would be interested in learning more about NOM24. Um, feel free to call me. I'll give you my phone number, and then I will forward your information um, to a, a colleague. And my phone number is area code 202-875-4714. Excellent. That's great. Well, Jennifer, again, thank you so much for jumping back on this afternoon and joining yeah. us again. And uh, thank thanks you for so being the support for you and Francis and all your team that's out there trying to help. <laughs> Uh, Thank you you so much for having me. We really enjoy this. It's been great. It's been fantastic as well. So thanks. And hopefully we can uh, do an ice cream tasting virtually. (laughs) I love that idea. Okay. Necessity is the mother of invention. So we'll figure something out. Yes, it is. Okay. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. Be safe. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. I just want to clarify so there's no confusion that... To listen to the uh, general session B, I mean, breakout B, rather, breakout B, it is on ACB Radio live event stream, live event. So acbradio.org slash live. But I know that many of you are listening to YouTube 
on acbradio.org slash live. And that is to uh, what's on YouTube, which right now I believe is this general session, correct? It will be, yeah, the digital inclusion. So we, we basically keep the stream running through the whole day. So we capture the digital inclusion on our YouTube. But then, yeah, acbradio.org slash live uh, for the live events channel. That's usually what's going on on as simultaneous with mainstream, I believe. Is that correct? And yeah. And so if you're on mainstream, you're going to stay in, in group A, which mm-hmm. will be the digital inclusion, which is sponsored by Vespero. Thanks, Matt, again mm-hmm. um, for today. But yeah, so that'll be going, coming up. And we've got some guests, I think, um, joining in right now. So thanks to our okay. guests that are joining for our session. That'll start a few minutes as we segue here. So All right. I think we might have another another two real quick guests, Debbie, if Good. I may. Great. Uh, yes. We got, is Leslie on? I am, Tony. Hi, hey, Tony. Hi, Debbie. Mm-hmm. So nice to hear you. How's it going, yeah. guys? So great. wonderful. Good. I'm sure you sunny and are. warm in Florida. Uh, it is sunny and warm, yes. Mm-hmm. Sorry to rub it in, but. Uh, it's, <laughs> okay. it's sunny here, so my hope is it'll be warm mm-hmm. eventually. So. I'll send you some warmth, Tony. I'll send you some warmth. Please do. So. Just yeah. wave your hand real hard, and maybe it'll blow uh, up this way. Okay, so. yeah. <laughs> when I do my resistance later, I'll send you some warmth. So. What you got We're, to tell us about? Well, yeah, what do we got today? So, yeah, let's talk about the auction. So, show, mm. uh, you know, show your love for the ACB auction this year again. July 20th. Um, so, July 20th, Tuesday night. It'll start at 7 p.m. It'll be virtual mm. again. So, our second virtual annual auction. Um, July 20th, 7 p.m., <laughs> And it is called the Diamond Jubilee because we're turning 60 this year, ACB is. So um, so we, we are naming the auction the Diamond Jubilee Auction. So that'll be going on on Tuesday night, July 20th. And then Thursday and Friday before the convention starts, uh, we're going to have an appetizer auction again. So stay tuned. Lots of wonderful things will be coming. And, uh, you know, just stay tuned to the forum and leadership. And, and it'll be out there and we'll be... Getting in touch with the donors and the affiliates, you know, last year's was so wonderful. The ACB radio holiday radio auction and then the summer auction was great also. So many wonderful um, donors gave last year. It was our best auctions ever, you know, last year. What can people do now to begin getting ready or can they contact you about things they want to add to it or anything like that that they know they want to donate or? Sure. Great question, Debbie. Thank you. Yes, they can contact me. Um, I can either give my information here or I think it's everywhere, but <laughs> yeah, um, they can start contacting me. If you have items, we've already started collecting items. They can mail them to me if they're, um, you know, if they don't want to send, send them to the winner. Um, that's perfectly fine also. So um, I can get in touch with people or they can get in touch with me however they want to do it. But yeah, definitely. If you've got items, please reach out to me. Okay. Awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks, Leslie. Well, thank you. Thank, thank you, guys. So thanks for what you guys do. Keep up the great work. Yeah. All right. Stay safe. You too. And we it have was. another guest, Tony. I do think. Do we have our mini mall minute, or I, I don't? I think George might join yes. us this afternoon. We do have a mini mall minute. Hey, yeah. Patty. Hey, Patty. hey, how are you all doing today? Thank you for the show today. We're good. Very good. What, what do we got? Quick today for our minute. Okay, today, quickly, for this minute, it's first, we remember everyone, we have a DC celebration special of 10% off. If your order at the end of this week 
is $75 or more, you get 10% off of your order. And today's double deal is the ACB blanket. Um, it is 80% cotton, 20% polyester blanket that is 53 by 84 inches. Um, it is, it's great. You can wrap up in it and you get 10% off of that. So if you spend over $75 at the end of the week, instead of the blanket being $35, it can end up being $28. We do have our fidget, fidget cube, our tangle puzzles, our snake puzzles, all puzzles are $20. I mean, sorry, $12. And, uh, you know, while you're sitting here listening to all these meetings and all of the community calls that we have every week, can have be doing something with your hands if you're not one that crochets <laughs> or knits. So grab those puzzles. All right. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much, Betty. And the numbers to call again? 877-630-7190 or 877-969-MALL. That's 877-969-6255. Excellent. Thank you so much, Betty, for the many moments. Thank you. Air. Thank you. All right, I think we're at time. Wow. Yeah, we're going to have a great afternoon. Yeah. Are we ready to go, Clark? We are ready to go. However, Pat Sheehan, I think you are in the wrong breakout room. So uh, Kelly Gass will get that situated for the HHS panel in breakout B.